The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets, where I am joined by my fellow Bachelorette contestant, dear friend, and Bachelor Nation fan favorite, Blake Horseman. If you watch The Bachelor, you might recognize him as the runner-up on Becca season of The Bachelorette, and later in Bachelor in Paradise, which I told him not to go to, but we'll talk about that. Before he won Bachelor Nation over with his charm, he was killing it as a brilliant salesman for Coors Distributing Company. After the show, Blake kept selling beer for several months, but realized pretty quickly he was losing out on other opportunities that presented themselves by having that nine to five job. Since leaving his job, Blake put all of his focus on growing his personal brand on social media, started with the podcast, and is now absolutely crushing it as a big shot DJ. My favorite part about having Blake on, which is I always knew I wanted Blake on, and we always talked about when it was going to be. I was thinking maybe it would be a little bit later because I think you have something in the works. Maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> but when I saw you, Blake, on Stagecoach, performing in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, we got David here. David's joining us for the interview. I was just like, holy shit, this defines restart. I mean, you go from the, the highs of the bachelorette to the really severe mental and career lows of coming off paradise because of what had happened at Stagecoach, two years later, you're now hired performing in front of 4,000 plus people. I'm not going to start with the fluff. I'm going right into the rough. <laughs> like, like, what is it feeling like just a few days off of that? Tell me the full, full feeling of what you're thinking right now. Yeah, honestly, I'm still on a high. I really am. Like, I'm still scrolling through videos. Like my, my photographer and videographer keeps sending me these videos and I'm still scrolling through them because it's hard to put into words not only what that that moment felt like and that night felt like for me. I think there was a lot, a lot of validation in it for me. It was by far probably the biggest solo show that I've played. And when I first got to the tent, right? We're at the Honky Tonk tent. I get in the day before. I, I'm in there on Friday. And this is like one of those... Uh, it's basically a side tent, but it's one of the smaller side tents. You know what I mean? It's like the side tent. It's one in the back and it's the only one air conditioned, which is fantastic. But <laughs> I walk in there Friday during the day and it's a lot of like line dancing and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, uh, I'm not going to be playing this. Like, I don't know what to expect here, you know? And I'm like, God, no. And I do this at every show. I really, really do. I, I always think nobody's going to show up. You know, I really do. I just always, I'm like, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. Like why would somebody show up to see me? Blah, blah. And then of course, you know, it's, it's packed and the, and the energy is insane. And it was kind of the same thing. We got there about an hour before my set was to start on Saturday. It was kind of full, but not that full. And you know, at a festival, like there, you know, a lot of, it was Lee Bryce before me. So people were probably waiting for Lee Bryce to finish up. And I was just sitting there in the trailer, like, man, what if nobody shows? What if nobody shows? And I walk out there in the second, that first like drop hits and I see everybody turn and just walk towards the stage. And then I see people piling in from the sides. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the most amazing night. And then just the energy. And I think one thing I... I th one thing that I'm proud of and that I really think that I do better than most DJs and that is my energy on the stage and just how much I love doing what I love. Uh, and so just keeping that energy going for two hours, which is how long I played from, from beginning to end was something I don't think I've seen before. Like there was literally zero lulls. I didn't see somebody either on shoulders or hands in the air at any point for two hours. So it was a big moment for me in a moment where I felt like, okay, like this, 
not only gives me, you know, street cred, if you will, in the DJing world, because obviously, you know how it is, like as a contestant, sometimes you don't get the, you know, bachelorette contest, you don't get the cred and in, in mentor and influencer. So it's felt like validation, street cred. And then at the same time, it was like, I had so many incredible DMs and people there who were like, <laughs> like, I feel like a proud parent. And they're like, we've all watched you. Like I had so many, that were like, like, we've watched you all the ups and downs. And then for you to come back three years later and to have this big moment, that was really cool to see and just see that those, those long-term fans and, and now a bunch of new fans, a lot of people come in sometimes the bar is like very low, you know, and they leave and they're like, Oh shit, Blake's actually really good. So it was a, it was a surreal moment to say the least. That is awesome. I have so many questions about like the business component and everything associated with that entire stage and the people there. One thing I want to put into context, if someone is listening, they've never been to stagecoach and someone is saying, now I'm going to play like devil's advocate. Someone's like, yeah, but like, don't, don't thousands of people just go to stagecoach. So like, you're just on a stage and of course they would be there. Tell someone or explain to them what it's like when you go. Like, are there multiple stages? Uh, do people like get an announcement that Blake's coming? Is it your music? Is it because of social media presence? What is what got people there? And what's that environment like when you're walking in for someone who's never gone or doesn't even really know what it's like? Yeah. So yeah, great question. So stagecoach is, is actually, it's literally on the grounds of Coachella. They don't take the main two stages down. So it's on the grounds of Coachella. And there's about 150,000 people that go to Coachella. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was, I was there two weekends in a row. It was a lot, but yeah. So they literally leave up everything. Everything is just the same as Coachella, but there's only about half as many people. So there's 150,000. I think they said roughly this year, or maybe 200 at Coachella. I think there was like 80 to 85 a stagecoach. So they block off half the ground. So like, so some of the huge stages they do block off, but you still have the main stage and the secondary stage. And yeah. So obviously like it's a big festival there. I think it starts roughly at noon. It goes till about 11 at night. And there are a lot of, a lot of giant, giant acts. We had Carrie Underwood this this year, uh, Luke Combs and Thomas Rhett. And then you have some very small up-and-comers doing just tiny little like in the, you know, even that like a, a bar type vibe in, in the, there's like a, there was like a Sheen club, if you will, you oh, know, like wow. clothing line. Yeah, yeah. So there's all those kinds of places. And my, my tent, if you will, was probably the third biggest tent. But the hardest part about getting people into this tent is basically if you're looking at the main stage, you turn around and I'm at the very end. So it's like literally opposite stages or opposite parts of the the grounds, if you will. So that is the, is the hard part about getting people into that tent. It is air conditioned, which is huge because, you know, it hits a hundred like every day. So that's really big. People do love getting out of the heat, but I was lucky not only because I played in a great time, I played between Lee Bryce and Carrie Underwood, which was a great time. Um, I played during Brothers Osborne, who I love, don't get me wrong, but I think they would maybe someday I would have wanted to play, you know, during uh, in that lineup that day and at that night, it was 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And yeah, honestly, they, they did announce me. They announced me about six months ago, got really good traction. I was kind of just staying on it. And then leading up to it, probably the last three weeks leading into it, I did a giveaway, which was huge. You know, I did some, some ticket giveaways with some meet and greets. And then I actually did a few reels of me. Cause I think a lot of people are like, what the hell is a DJ play at a country? Sure. You know, they were like, what kind of vibe is it going to be? What can I expect? So I actually released a couple reels of me playing some remix country music. It's my number one viewed TikTok right now. And almost my number one viewed reel. So it got really good traction. And that was something I was like, Oh, okay. Like people love hearing this kind of like acapella country over top of like house 
style music. And so I was like, okay, I got some here and this is something I want to continue because the the reception was just incredible. So I think I got people talking like, oh, like this could be fun. Like obviously Blake puts on a good show. We've seen him, you know, the stories and stuff, but this kind of music could be a lot of fun and different than we've heard before. So I think that really helped as well. That's cool. Uh, Two questions for you. Getting on a stage and stage coach and playing in front of 4,000 people, obviously something maybe you never thought that you would ever do. How long have you been DJing for? Was this something that it was like quarantine hobby that you picked up? Like, or, you know, I left my nine to five job. I need something to do. So how long have you been playing? And then quick part two, uh, do you wear your Apple watch on stage? Cause keeping an energy up for two hours, I need to know how many <laughs> calories you're burning on stage during a show. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll answer the first part first. So uh, you know what? I've always been this music guy. Like I've always been the guy, like when I told my close friends, even not my close friends, just friends of mine and and family that I was I was gonna you know jump head head first into this music world and this DJing. A lot of them were like, "That makes complete sense because you've always been kind of more or less the life of the party and you you love music." And I was always like the ox guy, you know what I mean? I was always the guys that people turn to, whether it be in college at my parties. Like I was always the ox guy, whether it be the DJing in the car. Like I was just me. I had the new music. I had all that kind of stuff, the cool remixes. So I really actually did. I kind of owe everything to Caitlin Bristow. I started, (laughs) I uh, came off paradise and I was still under contract and I was in a weird, very, we'll get into it, but I was in a very weird point in my life where I had kind of more or less quit my job for the paradise thing. And, and I was, you know, looking forward to maybe what's going to come of that. And then it didn't obviously work out the way I'd wanted. And I just felt a little lost at the time. And I'll never forget when I got the text from Caitlin Bristow, I was actually on an airplane and I remember tearing up because I felt like a bit like an outsider at this point in machination. Like people were a little afraid to really put their neck out for me to have me do certain things, you know, related to them, whether it be, you know, their brand or whatever it is. And at the time I couldn't actually be a, a, like a guest on the podcast because I was still in the contract. So she was like, what do you think if you like DJ? And I was like, you know what? Okay, let's do it. Like I've never actually DJed for a crowd before, but let's do it. So I bought a little controller and I kind of just messed around. You know, I think we ended up doing like, I don't know how many, like 10 dates, I think it was, or something like that. And honestly, like looking back, obviously I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was a moment for me being like, wait a minute. I think this is something I want to do. Like I was really passionate. I enjoyed the, the, uh, the feeling of the crowd and the, and I, like, it's addicting. It very much addicting when you get that, that jolt of energy from the crowd and they're feeling you and stuff. Uh, and so I got a call from a good friend, Jason, um, of ours called, uh, his name's DJ silver and he's been in the, he's an industry DJ. He's been there forever. You know, it's just kind of what he's been doing since he was young. And he has a, uh, the first ever only DJ, um, label. And he reached out and he's like, man, you know, like I was looking at your, your photos, your videos. He's like, I think this is something we should look at and something I think you'd be really, really good at. And so I ended up, I was like, you know what, let's do it. And, uh, you know, I think there was a moment where I almost was very scared, you know, I almost let fear kind of scare me. And I, I was like, I, I was so scared to fail. And it's like, of course I'm going to get made fun of, which I did. I got made fun of a ton. I'm like, oh, look, look, things to DJ now, but I put in the work. I went to school. I did the classes. I kind of just, just did a lot of gigs. I did some at smaller bars. I did some just at like backyards, that kind of thing to kind of get into it. And then next thing I know, yeah, I mean, now it's, I'm so passionate about it. It's something that I I can't, I can't, I feel like, I, I don't know what I was doing before this. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like now I'm at that point where I was like, what was I doing with my life before? And then yes, man, like we talked about my energy. I I have worn my Apple watch. I, I wish I would have worn it. It was dead. I wish I would have worn a stagecoach because I remember I turned, I was about an hour in and I turned to my, my videographer. And I was like, bro, I'm exhausted. I was an hour <laughs> in. So, but I think one time I burned 2,200 calories at a local, wow. a local one in wow. Denver in two hours, man. That one was like an hour 45. Yeah. So I bet I burned 24 to 2,500 there on stagecoach. And it was, 
it's just your adrenaline's high the whole time. And then dude, just looking at into the, you know, the crowd and just watching them lose their mind is just something it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's gotta be a high, like no other. I love that, that, that is what turned it around. And I think what also is interesting is seeing, cause I obviously was partaking in a lot of those shows. It was cool to see your perspective of like, wait a second. Be in the batch of bad boys, not too bad. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like the girls were going nuts for Blake. It was like a whole different time. And I, I got to see Blake right when we got off the show. Blake and I would do bar appearances and stuff, and we would get paid anywhere from like three grand to 5K, show up, cash, sometimes less, sometimes a K, sometimes we just were like having fun. I got to see like the good boy edit Blake, and then I got to see the bad boy edit Blake. <laughs> and it was a whole different energy. And I love that you also found a, a career to parlay into it. Now, people are going to hear what you've done. Two years, you got into it, but you've always kind of had interest. You took lessons. You partnered with unbelievable people like DJ Silver, et cetera. I got to get to the meat and the potatoes. Next week, we have an influencer coming on who was the winner of Big Brother. She was on MTV The Challenge, and she was also on MTV X's on the Beach. She told me at Coachella, oh, I'm going to tease it. She told me exactly how much she made with her brand deals. At a deal like Stagecoach, are you partnering brand deals with DJing and what does like money look like in that space on a stage stagecoach, and also in general, like someone's listening to this, like you know what, maybe I'll try DJing at like the local bar, like or give it a shot, or I'll take a class. What would you say the overall like money earnings potential is in the space? Those are two loaded questions, but we got to get to the money. That's what we do. No, we they're secrets. Yeah, they're they're great questions because. I didn't even really know coming in, you know, and I did have to lean on a lot of mentors and a lot of people in the industry. Cause I, you know, sometimes they tell me what they're going to pay. And I'm like, like, wow, like, is like that much, you know what I mean? And I think it's, I think if you're in the nightlife industry, you get it. I think those kinds of people understand what DJs get paid because basically this, this is the way I was told they look at it. And this is for like huge, like, okay. Stagecoach for example, but also Vegas clubs and these clubs that are selling tables for 50K a pot. They literally, if they are able to sell one table extra or one table for more than they normally would because you're DJing, that is your payment. So that's how they kind of base what they're going to pay you is like, hey, listen, we have a $50,000 table here. If we can charge 65 for that and it's going to go, then we're going to pay Blake 65K. So but that's how, how it that is. Before, how would they know if Blake can sell that? Before so that's the hard you. part. So that's the hard part with the places like Vegas and stuff, you really do have to have a pretty good rep for yourself. Okay. You have, to have some serious credibility, but I mean, it's even, but th- like stagecoach, the coolest thing too. let me back up a little bit. One of the coolest things too, in my, what I do is I DJ, but then I also bring that following. And so some bars just enjoy that I'm there posting and I'm there advertising for their bar. Let's say I've gotten, you know, I've gotten some really cool deals with like some new bars that pop up and they're like, not only do we get an awesome DJ with Blake, but we also get this influence and these people, you know, the eyes on this new bar in New York, in Texas, in California, wherever it is. So I actually have an ability to be a little more versatile as a DJ and Stagecoach is a great example of that. I partnered um, not only with Stagecoach to DJ, but then I partnered with Stagecoach to Post, and then I partnered with uh, a couple other brands while they're on the festival grounds who were part who were sponsors of Stagecoach. So I don't think every DJ was probably able to do that, you know what I mean? Because they don't have the following. So that's something that I not only do I get paid to DJ, but I also get paid for the following and the influence of the, the eyes on the the uh, bar or club or whatever it is. Got it. And the house that you stayed in. 
and yeah, the house, and the house stayed exactly the house I stayed in it was insane. All yeah. right, give it, I got yeah. it. This is my job. It's drilled down. Stagecoach weekend with all the partnerships under or over 10k. Uh, over very yeah. Over under over totally. 20k. Over. Oh, under over 30k. Over. Under over 40k. <laughs> no, right there. Yeah. Right there. Holy yeah. Look at yeah, this guy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And the th- the cool thing too is that like guys, this is and yes, okay. Uh, we we I hear this a lot, and it's the truth. You go on the show, and yes, you got struck by luck, lightning. I get that, but also doing something with it is so important. And doing something with anything in general, while you're listening to this, no matter what you have, one connection, one person, one door you can open, there's an opportunity. And I love what you said earlier, Blake, is you were getting crushed before, right? You were getting crushed. You tried this. When you tried to DJ, people were like, dude, you're like, I remember people coming at you for it. Full circle to see that and to hear those numbers is truly an inspiration. Yeah. You can call it luck lightning, but he also had to propose on national TV and and get denied (laughs) and then go through, get dragged through the mud in paradise. So I don't know how many people on the planet can handle that type of luck lightning. So uh, really commendable though. And I know we're huge fans of yours. So to see you crushing it is just the best. So thank you. And and one of the things you said too, about like bachelor people siding and like, not like, like, like having your back in those situations is such a real thing in this world. And so I think that's something that, that, that is like really important. The other thing I want to quickly touch on with the DJ thing, I think someone, if you're listening to this and you have an interest, one of the reasons, like I even said, Blake and I would get paid. If we're looking at the business case, why would Blake and Jason get paid a few grand to show up at a bar for an hour, right? It's ridiculous. But if you look at the business case, some of those clubs or some of those bars, what is their objective? This is just exactly what they told me. Their objective is they want to get high energy and more women in the door. And as a result of that, more women are going to increase the energy of the place is what the bar owners told us. And as a result of that, they're going to get more men, more spending, more just like excitement, more hype on social media. They say it all leads the bar industry. And this doesn't go for every bar. Of course, every bar has its niche, but most bar industries or clubs lead with getting women in the door. And so on top of having a following, you have a following that is 97% women. And so if there is someone out there that's listening that has a female following or female group, you have a ton of leverage if you can bring them into that bar. I think it's really cool that you did that. I want to ask you about like those Vegas DJs real quick before we get over the DJ talk. Steve Aoki, some of these like big time DJs, you're in the industry now. What are the big time Vegas DJs getting for a set, for a night of work? It's, that's a great question coming off of what you just said, because my kind of the person who obviously like in, in my world, as far as like kind of, you know, has, has a reality TV following DJs, you know, this high energy, whatever DJ Paul ID, right. DJ Paul ID. He's been doing it since got, you know, way back. He was like the OG, you know, he's like the OG reality TV DJ, if you will, or the, the one with, you know, that kind of following. And he made, he, he was the 15th highest paid DJ in the world. Uh, would have been right before COVID hit off. And he made 15 million in 2018. 15 million. That man's pulling in about, hey, he actually just posted, because I follow him, I, he just posted his calendar for, for this coming month for May, 16 dates. And he gets about 50K to more a date. So Jesus. yeah, he's making half a mil a month, maybe more. So he's pulling and that's, you know, that's just, an, you know, I mean, and that's like, I mean, I guess it is, 
like June and May and we're going in the summer and spring break, but I bet in spring break, I bet that man pulls a hundred K a show, you know, cause he's just pulling, he's pulling the exact audience you just mentioned. He's pulling women high energy. You just want to party. And that's, that is what I, I do. I pull and I tell everybody, if there's ever a bachelor event, bachelorette event in your city, gentlemen, go because it is women. <laughs> it is 90 to 95% women, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. okay. Those are crazy numbers. Especially because David and I, for his bachelor party in Vegas, we went to see Polly D. We got to go up on stage and meet Polly D. Oh, cool. But I'll tell you what, he was a sweetheart of a guy, super nice. I was not that impressed with his DJ skills. I was like, <laughs> is he even DJing? So, yeah. so ask me, I want to take it a step further for someone like yourself, for someone like him. He's now making 15 million a year. How many people? And, and obviously you and, and, and him are in different scenarios and stuff, but you're four, you're three years removed from the show. How many people do you think are starting to come to watch you because you are Blake and a great DJ versus how many people are coming because they know it's going to be massive girls going versus how many people are strictly coming because they know you're from the show? What do you So, yeah. So I think a couple of years ago, it was literally strictly because I knew you from the show, especially one of my, my second gig ever was Atlantic City. And now looking back, you know, like I, I got through it and they actually offered me a residency, but I, COVID hit. But looking back, I remember being like, man, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I was, I was faking it till you make it kind of vibe, you know, in there. And I, I did it and they enjoyed it. But looking back now, like that crowd was there because I was Blake from the Bachelorette, where now I really do think that there are people coming. And sometimes there, there are those people who come to dog me. And then they leave though. One of my favorite things is they leave being like, Oh, I'm a fan of Blake as a DJ, not a fan of Blake as a reality star, you know? So I love that. But I think now I'm getting to the point where people are like, okay, let's see what the hype is about. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I've seen the videos. I've seen a love. He just played to, you know, four to 5,000 people at stagecoach. Like, and it looked insane. Like, let's go see what the hype is about. And then the coolest thing too, is these residencies. And I have, I played 14 gigs now in Denver and every single one, we have like a bonus if you hit a certain number. Every single one, we've hit that bonus. What is the and number so, amount of people that come? Uh, amount of people that come through the door and a, a bar tap, like a bar min, if you will. They got to hit, I think, I don't know what it is, but yeah, they got to hit a certain number at the bar. But a deal like that, like a, a Denver bar, you're not getting paid as much as you are at Stagecoach, right? There's no way. No, but I. what's crazy too is like, obviously, yes, you're right. Local bar, Nashville, dude. Nashville does not pay DJs and I don't blame them. Like they have some more class. There's so much demand. Yeah, exactly. Shit, right? exactly. Okay. There's yeah. so much demand yeah. to just be at so those Nashville, bars regardless. Nashville, you can get a, honestly, like you can DJ for four hours, you get like a thousand bucks, maybe, you know what I mean? So yeah, that that's so, but in Denver, somewhere like Denver, um, where there's not, you know, there's not a ton of like giant DJs coming and stuff. And I'm, I'm a consistent, you know, once a month to twice a month there, I'm still pulling more money than most local DJs pull, like it, you know, or most DJs pull at huge places, you know what I mean? And it's worth it. And I remember when I signed this deal and we put the bonus in because we weren't sure what it was going to look like playing over and over again, in, in, you know, in, in a city, like I wasn't sure, like, oh, we saw Blake last month. Let's not go. But it's been, and I think that's cool as far as I'm getting all these return return customers. So I'm getting people who are like, let's go see Blake for the fourth time. I was on a flight today to Miami and the, the flight attendant, this was actually a cool moment. I got, I remember this. I, I told the person next to me, I was like, this flight attendant didn't say, hey, that's Blake from the Bachelorette. She said, hey, I went to your show last month. You know, that was a cool wow. moment. That's, like, that was that's like, the oh, dream right there. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the what dream. I wanted to be. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, she, you know, she came to my show and she said hi because of that, not because of my Bachelorette season, you know, four years ago, whatever. So, so yeah, I think I'm getting to the point where people are not only coming just to see, like to have fun and whatever. There's a lot of girls there, but they're like, okay, let's see what this hype about. And, and there was a, some girl did a TikTok recently where she was a Bachelorette party 
And one of her friends just was like, they like, do you want to go see Blake? And they were coming already. And she was like, no, fuck that guy. And then they did a like journey of her on my show. And it started out with her hating me. Then her kind of started <laughs> to be like, oh, he's pretty good. And then, and then by the end of it, she's like, Blake, I love you. Just like screaming. Yeah, love so that. that that's about how my, yeah, my shows go. Yeah. All so. right. I got one quick question that I want to drill down on that. I know David does. I can see it in David's eyes when he's ready to go. Curious in the Canadian. So give me an idea though. At like, I'm thinking about relating it back to like the book tour, right? For anyone listening, uh, one of the events that we sold out, we're negotiating with them as how we're getting paid. And you can get like a little fee up front, or you could take a higher risk and just say, you're going to take all the, the ticket sales. So they'll give you all the ticket sales. And then it's a higher risk though, if you don't sell out. And mm-hmm. then you can even get further and negotiate like, you'll get all the ticket sales plus a percentage of food and beverage sold that night. So that's how that could work in a DJ world. And like your bonuses and stuff, are you like three grand, three grand a night And how are bonuses work? Yeah. So that's, we, we really do. And you try obviously to work with certain like bar, are you excited about a city and this bar kind of reaches out like, listen, we don't have the budget for, you know, I, I usually try to go for somewhere between seven and 10. Like that's usually where I try okay. to go. Yeah. And they're just like, listen, we have, $4,000. Sure. And it's, yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, like, let's see what we can do. So we do a meet and greet. The meet and greet's a big one. And we take a hundred percent of the meet and greet. Uh, ticket, we do a percent. Sales of meet yeah. and greet. Yep. Got yep. It. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then also I'll take a percent of the, of the bar. So I try to, we try to work with, you know, certain clubs. If it's a really fun city we want to have, or it seems like it was like a, you know, let's say DJ silver is like, this place is dope. Like it's going to go off. I'm like, okay, we'll work with them kind of thing. But yeah, there is a lot of negotiating. I honestly leave that up to, to my buddy, Eric Bradley and a lot of my, my blackout label. Uh, Cause I'm terrible at negotiating. So that's just something I know is a weakness of mine. So I'm like, you guys take care of it kind of thing. But yeah, there definitely are ways around, like, let's say they only have, you know, a certain budget. We try and work with them. I know how excited Jason gets when people come up to him and say, Hey, you're the guy from restart or I love your podcast instead of like, <laughs> Oh, from the show. So I can only imagine the feeling yeah. that, that you have there. Uh, What's your dream now that you've played stagecoach? What's your what's your dream venue uh, place for you to DJ at? And uh, what's your you know we're we're almost through uh, we're entering summer twenty twenty two. What's your goal monetary goal for for twenty twenty two from DJ? Yeah, so obviously, I listen. I grew up down the street from Red Rocks. You know, I grew up fifteen minutes from Red Rocks. Yeah. Now I. Do, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day, you know, I've got my, we do have, I have some, some of my original, you know, I have an EP dropping it by the end of the year. That would be amazing to headline at Red Rocks, but even just to be an undercard at Red Rocks is something. My first concert was at Red Rocks, you know what I mean? And, and if you guys don't know, it's one of the, you know, one of the best venues in the world. It's, it's voted con- Actually, I think they named the award, the Red Rocks award, because it was just, they won the award so many times. So that is definitely, you know, a dream of mine for sure. And then as far as like a stagecoach, I want to play. So Diplo played stagecoach this year. He played Sunday nights, the after party, which goes absolutely insane. And I want to play that same stage, like the Friday or Saturday night. That's my goal is the Palomino stage because I think I really think I can do it. And then they only play for like, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I'm like, I could put the dopest set together in 50 minutes, you know, like it'll be fucking nuts. And so it's super interesting. You just kind of ask the annual thing because this is the first year I ever made a goal uh, as far as like, you know, the, the, the amount of gross profit I want to make uh, in 2022. And it was a very lofty goal and it was a very, very lofty goal. I got some other things down the line this year that I'm really excited about. And that goal was, I wanted DJ to make things? seven figures. Yeah. A couple things, a couple things. DJ uh, but that goal, <laughs> some big things, no comment. No, it's uh, some pretty, some pretty big things. And so, you know, I kind of knew 
I don't know. I can't fucking say too much. Okay. Dude, the whole I don't want to get you sued. I don't want to get sued. The thesis of this show <laughs> is to talk about money, not in a braggadocious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right, right, so right. that people can learn the industry. If maybe there's one person that like is like, you know what? I've been thinking about DJ and I have the skill set, and they do it because of this show, and they take off and you change your life. Yeah. So my my goal this year was seven figures. I want to hit one million dollars gross. And it was one of those goals where I, I was like, I knew it was it's definitely you know a possibility, but I found a couple months into the year because I had I had one kind of lower month, and I was like, I felt so like terrible. You know what I mean? I felt like I was just like terrible at my job and my life, and I was just like, what's going on? And I kind of started to lash out at some people around me and stuff. And it was an, and I, you know I kind of sat back down. I was like, listen, obviously I want to hit that goal, and that'd be great. But at the same time, like I try to remember what I was, you know, what I my life looked like four years ago, or even two years ago, or a year ago, and what I'm now pulling in, you know, monthly. And so I I think it's something that I'm I'm trying not like I want to hit that goal and I'm striving for it, but I don't want to kill myself over it and maybe ruin some relationships professional and personal because I'm not necessarily hitting uh, the goal that I want to hit. So it's just, it's this balance that I've, like I said, I've never had a goal like this before as far as money. Cause you know, I had a 95 and everything like that. So this is something I've, I've never had to deal with before. So it's something new to me for sure. When you play Red Rocks, Jason, I'll be there. Yeah. It's yes, okay. Uh, you, you guys haven't even seen me yet. You guys got to come out no. this summer. I'm going to play hype. Red I went down, we were at the David Ortiz event and there were all, you know, there just weren't that many people. It was a VIP party only. Mm-hmm. I say VIP not to sound like I'm cool, but it was just right. the people that golfed in the charity event. All golfers were there. And uh, I was going nuts. He I was, was, I so was jumping. My calves got the best workout, David. Hour and a half by myself, fist pumping, jumping. I was going nuts. So we need to go to a, a full show. That is for yeah. sure. I don't want to lose... Uh, the, the, the comment I wanted to say though, cause I think it's co- really good to have financial goals, but those financial goals, it's so important for them not to like drive like th- those behaviors that you have, especially in this world. Cause there's so many highs and so many lows. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would just focus uh, for you, Blake is just like crush this brand every day. What are you doing to differentiate yourself as a DJ? How are you honing in on this craft? And you already know the industry, that money is going to roll in. It's just like, what are you doing to differentiate and build that block A, Blake DJ, so that everyone knows that is what should make you happy or sad, how much effort, time, and creative you're putting into that, I think. Mm -hmm. One question I got in this world, you had already mentioned there's a DJ label. And I know the influencer space, we talk about it all the time. Usually commissions are like 10 to 15%. What do you have to pay? Like, a, like how does a label work in DJ world? Very similar, you know, okay. depending. So the label that I have 20%, yeah, it's very similar. Uh, in fact, I mean, basically it's like having, you know, like a tour manager, if you will, type thing. And then what, where it gets really interesting, and I, we haven't even figured it all out yet, is when it comes to like, you know, original music, Spotify plays, those kinds of things. That's when it starts to break down because label does, you know, get a piece of that and that kind of thing. And then you have to pay like, you know, I, listen, I wish I was a singer. I'm not, I mean, you know, we're going to have to get the singer, some of the percent, you know, the things like that. So that is something that we're starting to, have to work on. But as far as like, just like the label itself, or like a tour manager, whatever that is, whoever the books that is usually 15, 20%. Okay, cool. And yeah. we've heard some of your highs. I also think it's really important on this podcast in general, not to just talk about the highs, but like the grind of getting there. We've heard some of those huge deals, the goals that you have for, for making this a full-time career and a life-changing career. When you were starting out, like when you think about like DJ Blake is starting to get go, what are some of like the worst deals and rates that you accepted just to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of times. I, I played F45 gym during one of their workouts. You know, I just wanted to get out there and I just wanted to work on my set. And they were literally like, 
you know, Hey, like, you know, we'll give you a free, free class. If you come out and DJ for it. I'm like, fine, I'll do it. You know? So I, it, that's the biggest thing is I can sit at home. And if, you know, if there's any other DJs out there that they want to listen to this, like I can sit at home and I can play my set and I can get it perfectly. I can get the mixes right. I can get the drops right. But then if you can get in front of people and people are throwing things at you, people are flashing light, you know, those fucking, those phones up on their forehead, you know, like, yeah, play this, play that. And you're, the distractions and the energy and everything. And you miss one drop, man. And it can ruin the entire energy of the room. So really? and I've done it. I've done it. Oh yeah. I've done it. I have done it where you miss one drop. I, okay. I had, I was playing in Chicago at 115 bourbon street a couple months ago. It's the first time this has ever happened. It was, it is a DJ's nightmare. I was playing middle of a sing-along, like the middle of the sing-along and it's a dope <laughs> drop and everything. And all of a sudden the entire controller just goes out and they keep singing. And then re- then they realize like the music is gone and all of a sudden I start getting booze. I just start getting oh, booze. Oh man, it is yeah. horrible. And I was able to wave down the, the audio guy and he was able to put some house music on and we were up and running another five minutes and then, you know, it ended up great. But that was like a nightmare. You know what I mean? It's like the worst feeling ever. It's just like you got the energy and all of a sudden, boom, the energy, it just deflates the whole crowd. Yeah. That's and tough. yeah. And as far as my, you know, my DJ career, like I started out, I put, I put in, I went to classes. I went to classes. Denver actually has one of four DJ schools in the country. Mm-hmm. So I got lucky there. And so, you know, went to class. I did that whole thing. I put in the work. Uh, I had one gig in Phoenix, played that. And then I had the Atlantic City gig at the Premier Borgata in Atlantic City, and felt really, really good about it. And then I got a call to do a residency there uh, once a month for four months and COVID hit. And talk about like just getting started in like a new career. And then the one oh. industry that literally got just demolished Humbled. by COVID. Yes, just completely everything. And I know there's a lot of DJs out there. You know, I was lucky enough that I had another stream of income yeah. and I had some saving. But there's a lot of DJs I know that had to like, you know, sell their places or live on couches. So it was just an industry, you know, the industry just completely got destroyed. And so kind of starting, we were just started getting started and trying to then get back into it and contact all these clubs that we had booked. And they're like, listen, I don't know, you know, he's too much right now. We have no money. We just, we didn't have anybody in the door for two years. So that was a challenge in of itself was COVID was kind of coming back out of that. Uh, And I did have to take some, you know, lower payments for some bars because they just didn't have the money because they didn't have anybody in the door for two years. So that was, that was a challenge. So $1 amount, love the rebound and the fact you stuck with it. $1 amount, not for free. The lowest amount of deal you've done for a DJ set in the career. So, I mean, I've done a couple of free ones, but I think the lowest actual, like at a bar posting that kind was, was 2000, which. Okay. It's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I skipped an entire level of playing an eight hour set for $500 at your local bar, you know, and I did that with, with, with my platform. So I did skip over that, you know, I have played it three hours here and there, but I skipped that like eight hour set at like the local bar on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? So yeah. I did kind of jump that. But yeah, 2000 is, is the uh, the lowest I put. Interesting. Yeah. When you said you missed a drop at some shows, I think a lot of people have the perception out there that they're called like plug and play DJs where like you actually make a set and mix it at home and then you get to your show and you just hit play and then you're just hyping up the crowd and be all antics and hands in the air and you're not actually touching anything. So dismiss those people at home. I actually watched a really cool Netflix documentary on like the history of DJing, which is an incredible, incredible uh, documentary. Cool. If you haven't seen it, it's unbelievable. It goes into the history of how it started and how it got to be and all the shows and festivals. And they talk about this. So shed some, shed some light on that for the people at home that just think you just press play and just go, you know, crazy for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny because I, I have to watch that documentary because it still it's blows so my mind what these old DJs did. They literally would walk in with suitcases of vinyls 
and just like <laughs> on the run, like just it's, it's mind blowing to me because we are spoiled with technology right now. What's even crazier, Calvin Harris. So he's actually, I think the chain smokers just jumped Calvin Harris as the most paid DJ, yeah. but Calvin Harris would roll up to a club with a USB plug <laughs> and get paid a hundred K. There's no overhead. There's no nothing. And then he'll fly three hours later, he'll be in another country or whatever and play again. I think loud luxury who I've met them a couple times. They're fantastic. They did a, they did a, a 36 hours. They played four gigs in 36 hours. It was just Holy bonkers. Shit. They started at 3am at space Miami. And then they, so that's the thing about DJs is they don't have these equipments. We don't have the band. We don't have any of that. There's no overhead. They just plug them. They plug that USB in and then they mix it's bonkers. And then as far as, so the plug and play and that, listen, I, I hear this a lot. I do either like, oh, look, like just pushes play and then runs around the stage. I'm like, no, I don't. I wish it'd be a lot easier. But one thing that I am, and that I think there's a reason I have a computer. Like I DJ with a computer. That's because I'm an open format DJ. So I play what the crowd is vibing to. I don't put together like a, a playlist before. So if I play Katy Perry and the crowd is like, what in the hell is this? I'm like, okay, no more early 2000 pop or whatever, you know? So I'm like, okay, now wow, I got to okay. switch my whole setup and I'll play, you know, I'll play a little bit more house. I did an event in Iowa at Iowa university after their like freshman orientation. And I played like some, Oh my God, what song was it? I, I can't remember. It was some rock song from like the early. And I realized at the time, especially an orientation, these people like they were all bored. Then. Yeah, yeah. I literally, I played this song and they were kind of just like looking at me and I was like, Oh, they just want a mosh pit. I was like, that's all they want to do is a mosh pit. So I had to completely change my set around and just play like high energy. Just, it was crazy. So yeah, I don't just plug and play. I'm an open format DJ, which is what it's called. Um, and that's why I have this computer. Cause I have, you know, you know, 30,000 songs on here that I'm able to choose from. I have some that I enjoy playing and I, most of the time they hit pretty hard, but yeah, so that, that's kind of the difference between a plug and play and like an open floor. I, David, I can what? attest to it too, though, because we David Ortiz event. He, I think he started playing like Blink One Eighty Two. David Ortiz, like, dude, I mean, <laughs> guys is like G as it gets. He's got more swagger than maybe any human I've met. All like blinged out, he like comes up and whispers, "Like, man, you're not, not, not this." I was and like, then, "Okay." Also, they played today. Yeah, about to, <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, that was like Latin this, music. Yeah, is yeah. that what he asked for? Latin music, right? Yeah, he wanted Latin. He wanted um, Latin and um, like mamba and like he something else. And his manager came up too. And was like, listen, you gotta. I was like, okay, you know, I did. And then once he left, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back to what I was playing. But, but the but yeah, drastic change of like watching the floor based on those, it brought different like like energy and everything. But still, you kept energy high in both of those segments, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. called what we started. Is the what Netflix we started? Document. What we started? Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, that'd be cool. There, yeah. there yeah. we go. That is it. That is pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I, I think we spent more time about the DJing stuff, but to me, like that is the premise of most of this podcast is like really mm -hmm. focusing on career and like where you're at and everything. One thing you have said in the past though, Blake, is you've said in Q and A's, I think I've seen it. If you hit, like if you get the chance to be the bachelor, it's like hitting the lottery. So I think about like your career and I think, and I agree with your statement, hundred percent. It's like a golden parachute is what I say, but I do think that's changing a little bit these days. I do too. <laughs> um, but that being said, uh, you look at your career now. You got the trajectory of DJing. You've been in influencing. You have a podcast, and you made the comment about the Bachelor. Of all four of those, if you could be the Bachelor, really blow up a podcast, continue your DJ tra trajectory, or staying in influencing and really trying to grow your influencing. Which of those do you think will be the most lucrative 
and which of those do you have the would you have the least interest in doing? So I think like the ceiling money wise, like mm-hmm. being lucrative, I think is the DJing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but of the four things you just mentioned, I think DJing is probably the hardest work. I think that is, you know, I, I, I hit, you know, eight cities last month. So, I mean, that is, a, it is a lot of work. It's a grind, but once you get to the point where you're charging 30, 40, 50 K, you know, a, a two hour, an hour set, then that's when the real money starts coming in. And that is the goal. So I'd say the ceiling as far as, you know, money is definitely DJing, but you know, you look at influencing too, and this, there is a lot of work to go into influencing for those of you that don't think there is, there really is. If you're very good at it, there is a, yes, a there's a lot of creating content. Want, yeah. I don't want to act yeah. like it's like labor, but I, there's a lot more than people yeah, than people think. I mean, if you're good at that, I mean, and you, you really crush it, I mean, that could be lucrative. Uh, and then as far as like what I want to do, it would, it would be DJing. It really would. I don't think even, you know, the bachelor definitely, especially like you just said now, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's worth it. You know, unless you do find the love of your life, the odds of that are very, very slim. And then, yeah, as far as just DJing the, the feeling one of these days, y'all got to come to one of my big shows and you can be up there on the crowd and you can be up there on stage and you can feel what I feel. And it is something that, uh, yeah, is hard to describe. So yeah, I mean, it would be DJing all around. There it is. There's the answer. Yes. I'll let you guys know. I'm going to maybe play a pretty big one for 4th of July. So I don't know what you guys got planned, but I'll keep you updated. I have no plans at this point. I'll keep you all updated. (laughs) There we go. Let me know as soon as you can, though. Um, I'll let you guys know. All right. So those are some of the highs of where you're at today. I do want to talk about it. We talked about a little bit on the book tour is some of the lows. I don't want to get into like, uh, you know, we don't need any more headaches than we may already have. But I don't want to get into Bachelor production and editing and Bachelor stuff with Paradise and how you got screwed. What I do want to get into, because I think it's really important, I think it's very relatable for anyone that's stuck, is hearing from someone that has been stuck. You guys just heard from Blake, if you're listening, about the unbelievable success he's having. But there were really, really dark lows for you. I remember those conversations. I remember the tears. I remember the not knowing where you're going to turn. And that was uh, a tough, a tough Blake. And it was, it was scary to be friends with you because I was like, I don't know what I could possibly do to help. But it was, I was, I was so worried. You've come a long way, which is amazing. But tell me about what that was like when you were in that dark place. And tell me a little bit about any type of insight you can give for someone that feels maybe uh, somewhat of how stuck you were or is actually feeling just as stuck as you were too. Cause I think it's a, it's an inspirational story. Any insight could help someone. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I actually love getting asked about this and I love speaking on it because you're right. Like even if it can touch one person, that's kind of why I've been so open about it, you know, it can make all the difference and it's definitely worth it. And yeah, man, I mean, yeah, you did. You saw me when I was as low as, as low as I could go. You know, I always say everybody's got a rock bottom, you know, some people's are just a little deeper than others, but at some point you're going to hit that rock bottom. You know what I mean? And so the, the one thing I felt obviously a bit on a bit of a, a bigger stage, but a weird stage too, you know, it's kind of in front of the world at the time or the country at the time. And that was just like, I felt so alone. I felt so, mm-hmm. so alone because I felt like my family and close friends, they couldn't really relate because they, they didn't, they don't know this world in the way, you know, if I'm like, Oh yeah, man, like I just, you know, I got so you know, bad edit or I got like a bad episode tonight and Twitter's all over me. They're like, so turn it off. You know, like some of yeah. my friends are like, so, and they just they don't yeah. quite get it. But then I couldn't also, it was very hard for me to turn to a lot of people in Bachelor Nation because I felt like I was being a burden, you know, I was kind of mm-hmm. being a burden. And a lot of the people, you know, looked at me now as like damaged goods. I was damaged goods at the time. And so it was like, oh, I don't want to stand. 
too close to this. You know, um, I don't want to ruin my brand and stick my head out for him and for, you know, who he is as a man or, you know, his character. And so that was, that was a really hard moment for me. I was just, I felt so, so alone. And, you know, I, we talked about this, Jay, like I was, I don't think I left bed for close to, you know, over two months just because I felt like it was, felt like the world was crashing down on me. Like if I went to the grocery store, somebody would be like, oh, you're a fucking, you're a, you're a worse you're yeah. human. So I just was ordering everything in. My Postmates bill were just insane. And I was just like, <laughs> I was so scared to go outside. And I got probably as low as I've ever been and hope to ever be. And, uh, you know, as low as I probably could be uh, before doing something drastic. And something happened to me and I got out of bed and I, I just decided to walk to the local gas station and get a Gatorade. And it was, I don't know if it was the fresh air, if it was just a, a point where it was like, you know, sink or swim, like either you get up and do something or it's going to get worse. And so I did, you know, and I, I got that gay and I felt a little bit better. And then the next day I walked a little further and then the next day I walked a little further, the next day a block, the next day a couple blocks. And then before I knew it, I was back in the gym, you know, and, but I don't want to sit here and act like that happened overnight because I think that's a very important thing to remember that you're not going to get better. Nobody's going to say one thing to you that suddenly changes your life and makes you better. You know, you can go to therapy all you want, but don't expect one therapy session to change everything for you because that's not the case. It takes work. You have to work on yourself and it takes time. You have to be patient. And just because somebody got over something quicker doesn't mean that you should get over that in the same time. If you, if you, if they, you know, lose their job and they go into depression for a month and you go in six months, that doesn't make them any better than you and you yeah. any worse than them. So I think that's an important thing to remember. And, and just, it, it takes time. You know, it took me months to finally get out of it. And then I still for a good year to two years, and sometimes I still do have bad days, you know, good days and bad days. And so there were still months and months and months of me having like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I, I messed everything up, you know, that kind of vibe. So, yeah, I mean, my biggest I thing I took out of that was not everything changes overnight. And, you know, just because you're feeling down now, you put in the work and, and you, you, you can't come out of it. You can't come out of it. One of the things we had, and thank you for sharing that. And I think there's so many takeaways from that. And like, for me, one of that big takeaways too, is like putting in the work, but also like really, really small wins can build massive, massive momentum, right? Like just getting up, getting out of your house and going to get a damn Gatorade that's a huge win and that can build to the next thing. So I think that's, that's so, so important. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, so you go through that period, we just had Molly Bloom on for Molly's game and she talked about like her high highs and $4 million a year from running these underground games. And she gets busted by the FBI. 17 guys are coming in with machine guns. And I asked her when you hit rock, cause you talked about rock bottom, you know, if you didn't hit rock bottom, uh, would you have ever changed anything in your life? And her answer was, no, it would have gotten worse because she was starting to do more drugs. She was starting to like get involved with more gambling. She was taking the highs of things and moving in a direction that wasn't her. And she felt as though she needed that rock bottom to like readjust her. When you look back at that time period, especially where you are today, do you, what do you feel about hitting that place? Do you think you had to be there to get where you are today? Yeah. So I, by the way, I listened to that podcast because Molly Bloom is Colorado. She was like, I grew up worshiping her brother as a football player. Denver, so, yeah. He, yeah. I, he was the best punt returner in the league in, in CU Boulder. I worship that family, dude. I love that Bloom family. Wait, yeah. is that who she's married to? Uh, no, her brother. 
Oh, I was like, I didn't yeah, even know. Yeah. No, her brother okay. was a, yeah, he was drafted by the Eagles and everything. And yeah, he, I was a huge fan at the time of him when he was, when he played for CU Boulder. So I was a big fan. So I listened That's to cool. that. That was, that was a really good point. Wasn't yeah. the, I want to hear your answer, but wasn't it interesting when she said, like, when she had tested her greed, when she was talking about the fact that, like, she attested to the fact she lived in this family of all these high achievers. She just wanted a place at the table. It goes to exactly what you just said about her brother. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That family isn't crazy. Yeah. Very, very talented and crazy. But, yeah, man, actually, you know, I haven't sat down and really thought about that, but that, I mean, that's, it, I, yeah, I definitely think that that was something that was supposed to happen to me. And it wasn't like, listen, it wasn't like I was in this, like before paradise, I was in this like terrible, like I wasn't you know, doing a bunch of illegal shit and doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And sure. Kind of thing. sure. But at the same time, it was, you know, something that I think that weird year and you kind of went through, you start, you did start dating Caitlin, but I went through a very weird year between Vacheret and Paradise where my life was just a mess as far as like, it was just a tornado of just like, <laughs> you got to be here for this. You got to be there for that. You need to do this appearance. You do this ad and you do this. And I was just kind of like, it feels like such a weird moment in my life where I didn't really have a lot of direction. And mm-hmm. I didn't like, it was like, okay, I'm going to do Paradise. And then what, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm making more money, you know, a lot more money than I would have at Coors. But at the same time, it's like, I didn't have any, like what, what next. And it was basically just to like, hopefully find somebody in paradise and then keep influencing, you know, like that was kind of like it, you know? So now that I have, you know, a career more in a career than I've ever really had, I definitely do think that I got to give, you know, that everything happens. It's very cliche, but everything happens for a reason. Sure. And, you know, as much as that was a bad moment, I have, you know, I've, I've gotten over a lot of the bad blood and all of that. It just seems like a lot of the people involved, I'm friends with most of the people involved with all of that drama and everything. We're all just in a better place. Not that I say that that, that was easy for any of us, really. It was hard for a lot of us, but it seems like everybody's in a really good place now. And uh, we're able to look back at that time and just kind of like be more or less thankful that, you know, we've, we've made it out of that. And uh, weirdly enough, who would have thought, Jay? Fucking, you know, thought. three years later, man. Who would have <laughs> thought? Look at us now, man. Pretty right. crazy. What? One thing I gotta I gotta say from like a I guess a fan's perspective of just someone who's not in the world but close enough to people in the world and and follow way too many people on social media uh, for my own good goodness <laughs> sake but uh, you've always owned it like you've always just owned what happened who you are what you're going through over your social whether it's a Q and A that you did and you've always been vulnerable and let's call a spade a spade like you're not the only person who's ever got a bad edit on that show but you are one of the very few people who's owned what happened and tried to clear the air and and owned up to mistakes and you see people who have kind of been a little too stubborn to do that and trying to ride into the sunset with some different things and flamed out so I think you say everything happens for a reason, but you've you've definitely not to pump your tires too much here. But uh, <laughs> no, this is the greatest podcast ever. You know, he'll say yeah. this now in the recap. He'll be trashing you, bud. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first time I met Blake. That guy sucks. But, I, but uh, I think you know, just going off things in the book that Tardik talks about too, as he learned through his transitions, like just can't say enough to people out there. Like, be vulnerable, be your true self. Like, it may not seem like it's paying off today, but tomorrow. And I think a part of your like your loyalty for your fan base are people that you've converted, which is really awesome. And then just people who have appreciated you just being you and they feel more part of it. So it's awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. No, that means a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, because you you do, you're in, you are one of the few that like you're we called them wildlings. You're a wildling, you're like in the real world, in the free world, but you're also are close enough to you understand kind of like. Yeah. how crazy this world can be sometimes. So appreciate that. Yeah. One thing I got to ask you about too, when it relates to the money stuff is how badly or negatively or indifferent 
did it impact you financially after paradise when like things weren't in your favor? Like the deals kind of go away. Did rates go down? What did that world look like? Good question. I've never really had anybody flat out ask me that. I think people just assume that maybe it got bad, but I wouldn't say it, it didn't change a ton. In fact, in a weird way, because of how everything played out, uh, you know, during paradise, then post paradise, there were some people who were like so passionate about team Blake if you will, when it came to brands that they were like, no, we just want to work with Blake. Like we'll work with Blake because we think he got screwed. So in a weird way, it didn't change. It's kind of indifferent. It didn't change, you know, whether I made more money or less money. Now, some of the, some of the, you know, there was a couple of times where I got, I had a, I had a uh, school uh, event, you know, Q and a booked and I don't know what happened, but I think they must've like Googled me or something. And they came back and was like, nah, we decided that no, Blake's not the right fit here at this, at the school. So that was kind of, that was something that was, it was based off of my edit on paradise. You know, so there were probably some opportunities I lost out on, but there were just as many actually that were like, no, 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 we're team Blake. Like they'd reach out to my agent and be like, no, no, no. Like we're fans of Blake. We think he got a bad, you know, he got screwed over. So we want to order Blake. So it was, it was interesting the way that worked. And also, and I'll say this, cause I would just remember is like Blake and I, have been friends through it all, close friends through it all. Uh, you know, I consider you for sure my closest person friend from the franchise. And we would talk like during that time and I'd be like, so what kind of deals you got going? Or he would ask me and I would be like, yeah, I got this uh, Lavazza coffee deal and I have State Farm life insurance. And Blake, I'd be like, Blake, Blake, what kind of deals do you have? He's like, oh, I got Bang Energy. I got, we were doing like sex oils over here. I'm like, oh shit, bro. Our brands are shifting, but at least deals are coming in. Yeah, yeah. Brands are definitely yeah shifted there for a little while, for sure. So, yeah. I can tell you this, a DJ set's a lot more exciting than talking about <laughs> careers and money, but hey, <laughs> to each your own. All right. Well, I really, really wanted to dive into some of your restart stories, where you are today, the highs and lows of your new career. Uh, before I do wrap up though, David, do you have any questions? No, I'm I'm good. This has been awesome. We've never had anyone on in the music industry, period. So to oh, cool. hear a little bit about that aspect and like the DJ label and live shows and all that and that. So I I got a, one question though. I mean, yeah. You talked a little bit about going back and doing the bachelor. How's the uh, how's the love life, Blake? <laughs> we single. We uh, going on these shows. Let's just uh, say, what's going on here? <laughs> let's just say uh, I can't complain. I'm in a good spot right now. Uh, I got okay. some big news coming up here. Actually, very soon. I think it'll be a, a good thing for for everybody involved. I'm, so I'm if happy. we go to if we go to said show on July 4th, then potentially we will meet. <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, and here's a question I have for you. And I, this is, I mean this seriously. You had a tough, tough go your last time on TV. Like, do you see TV in your future? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. But I, it's, I don't see a dating show in the future. I see a different. Kind okay. Of show. All right. So Fair yeah, yeah, I definitely think I would do another type of show. And then Blake, we have two questions that came in from our all access members. One we're going to answer in our recap, but the one from Laura K I'd like you to ask uh, answer before we wrap, what is your favorite song that you play in your set? Your number one go-to. If I feel like, gosh, that's, that's hard because I, I love, so I love sing-alongs because I just think that you can have the, the crowd, you know, kind of sway and jump whatever you want. But I think the energy when you hear the crowd and then they hear each other as well, song that's living on a prayer i have a remix living on a prayer 
that does just absolutely insane. It was actually the one in the video with my videographer where I'm like, hey, let me see you lose your mind. It's uh, it, it, it always hits. It just always hits. And I go right from that into like sweet emotions usually. And that always hits really hard too. So those are, that's probably my favorite, like six minute part of my set that usually hits. Like, I, I don't think I've only taken that out like one or twice. So. Okay. Then I have Holy one last follow-up before your trading secret. We're under the trading secret. If we have, if us listeners, me, David, anyone listening to this podcast has the aux cord like you have for all those years, and we have to play one song that in general, the most of the people at the party, the get together, the happy hour will like, what is one song you think we could go to that Spotify and hit? And in general, it will do well. I'm telling you, man. And as, as much as I, like a lot of people cringe, it's Mr. Brightside, man, that, that song hits every time. Like, oh I can't describe yes, it. I just it's started like, singing it. I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. dude. And it's like one of those where like, it's like, I have, I have a mix that I, I, that's one of my favorite songs to end on. And it's like, it'll just play. Like I usually, you know, I'm like, my guys, it's my last song. It's kind of got a, a weird intro. And then it hits that. And it's just like, you hear the crowd go, Oh, and they get so excited. So I, that would be my number one go-to Mr. Brightside. That is amazing. High lows, energies, left, right detours. What a freaking career it's been, Blake. It's fun to watch everything you're doing. I could talk to you for another two hours about how you're going to continue to grow. But one thing we will do is we're going to re because we're so tight. We're going to follow back up with you some point in 2023 you're going to come on and let us know if you hit that seven figure goal All and right. what is next for you but we got to end with one trading secret one secret about career navigation financial management how to make money lose money that you can't find in a textbook or learn in a classroom you can only learn from blake horseman what is one trading secret you can leave so my my trading secret i, I learned this a little too late i think i wish i would have known this a little younger and that is honestly a lot of people don't know what the hell they're doing. Everybody is just treading water, trying to keep their head above water. Whether it be your boss, your teacher, your professor, whoever it is, they really are just trying to figure it out just as much as you. So never feel like an imposter. Never walk in the room feeling like, oh, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Because person, the person next to you is thinking the exact same thing. So just know that you belong in that room and they, they know just as much as you. It's, I love that because like people are going to hear you and it'd be like, yeah, easy for you to say. You got this figured out. You got hopefully seven figures coming this year. But like, you can attest to that, right? Like you think every day about like, how am I going to, like, what's the next thing, right? You can attest to that same advice you just gave. Yeah. And I'm, like I said, there's still times I walk into a club and I'm like, nobody's going to show up to see me. You know what I mean? And like, or like all, there was one time I was in Austin and playing a gig and the guy who was opening for me, I was playing two of his remixes there at the beginning of my set. And I'm like, what a weird world DJing is. For this man's music, I'm going to be playing as a headliner, you know? So it's like, it's like, everybody's just kind of trying to figure it out as we go. And we're all just like leaning on each other and stuff. So yeah, it was really interesting. And it's a true thing. I'll talk a little bit about it in the recap, but the, once you like remove or not remove, but once you age from being on the bachelorette, it is always a concern that like your relevancy is shot. People don't care. People won't listen. Uh, and while that happens a lot, and there's some areas of probably both of our socials and things like that, you do lose engagement. Uh, that fear is still there. Like even book tour, like no one's going to show up. But if you stick to something you love and you continue to pursue it and you're passionate about it, people will follow. So yeah. unbelievable, Blake. Thank you for the trading secret. Where can people find everything Blake Horseman, your podcast. If you have something on like Spotify that we could follow anything and everything Blake Horseman, where can people find? Yeah. So uh, on Instagram at Balake.h, it's B-A-L-O-C-K-A-Y-E.h. Uh, also on Twitter and TikTok as well, Balake.h. 
And uh, really, we didn't have a chance to talk about it too much, um, but we have a DJ duo with my mentor, DJ Silver, called Official Roadhouse on Instagram. So we got some new music coming out as well. We're doing gigs all over the country. So we're really excited about that. And also uh, my website. If you're if you're looking for some upcoming dates, obviously I'll post that on my socials, but also my website is just playcourseman.com. So look for some dates coming up and any kind of uh, promos or anything like that. Official Road... I'm, I'm going to follow right now. Official Roadhouse... Yeah, official Roadhouse on Instagram. Just followed. Perfect. Thank you, man. Will you ever put anything on like YouTube so like someone can get familiar with your sets or like Apple Music or Spotify where it's like, I want to see what you know DJ Blake's sets are all about? I can go on YouTube and watch like a show or something. Yeah, absolutely. So actually SoundCloud is probably where that's gonna, gonna end up being. So everybody who's got you know, it's a SoundCloud out there. I'm going to create a SoundCloud and Official Roadhouse will also create a SoundCloud. So yeah, that, that'll that be out there. Keep an eye out for that. I'll let everybody know when that happens. I'll put it up on my website as well. We're kind of waiting to put out some original music before I start doing that SoundCloud thing. So, um, but that is in the works. That is so exciting, dude. I am so excited for you. I am so happy for all your success. It is so fucking fun to watch. Thank so you, dude, appreciate keep crushing that, it. Keep living the dream as you, it's just one. funny. It's funny too, man. It's funny how it happens when you find that path and you just keep going. It all blossoms, everything. Yep. And hopefully we'll learn and see more of, of that here shortly with you. And we're all rooting for you. And thank you for being on another no, episode. Tracy. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. All right, my man. Ding, ding, ding. We are closing in the bell to the one, the only, the Blake Horseman. God, I love that guy. He's like, uh, I mean, I feel like him and I have gone through it together. It's like, you know, you have your high school buddies, your college buddies like you, David, your post-college buddies. And then you have some really weird, weird fucking world buddies. That is Blake going through that experience together and, and all the highs and lows and to see where he is today. It is really exciting. I'm pumped for him. Curious Canadian. This is one of the few interviews I had the opportunity to actually have you on the interview. Tell me what's going through your head. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always great to catch up with people that I've actually met in real life on the podcast. But if you would have told me the first time that I met Blake at the Buffalo Bills Monday night game against the New England Patriots, that we would be podcasting in general in two years after, and we'd be podcasting about his thriving DJ career, uh, I would have you know, <laughs> felt like I was taking crazy pills. So, so great to have him on. And he's crushing it, man. I just... Say what you want about Blake. He's always had that like sparkle of the outlook of life in his eye that sometimes makes you want to hate him because it's like, how are you still so optimistic and positive and vulnerable? But it's what makes him him. He's doing great. I'm really happy for him. Yeah. The interesting thing about that, what I love, I have funny photos from that day is because we were at the Bills game and it was me uh, from the Bachelor franchise. Uh, Kevin showed up. He was with Astrid for a minute, but it was really me, him, and Dean. And so the funny thing about like his paradise didn't really work out. And he had the big blow up argument and fight and the texts were put out there mm -hmm. with Kaylin. And so Ke Kaylin is with Dean. And so like, there was a lot of tension, I believe, between Dean and Blake after the show. And that's where you met Blake with Dean hanging out, having beers at a Bills game. Yeah, and that you is got, a full circle effect. And you guys are in the owner suite. Just making absolute fools of yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole another disaster. I'm not even going to go down that road, but uh, we'll do that on another podcast. For the purposes of this podcast, let's talk about like two or one or two of your biggest takeaways. I'll, I'll kind of start yeah. off first. It is fascinating to think about 
um, the way that DJs could probably negotiate. And with the bar business, it makes sense how you can do the meet and greet, how you can talk about getting, like if you can get an extra table uh, that you'll see some of that revenue. One world that I'll just never understand, I'll just really never understand it, and I've been the asshole that's paid for it, is the whole bottle service thing. I mean, guys, you go to Vegas now and you want to get a table it's like buying real estate. You have to look at the map for what table you're going to get. How close is it to the booth? The closer you get to the booth, the more the minimum is. And the minimums that these are like 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, 55, 75. I've heard of it based on what's happening in the weekend. If there's a big event, 100K minimum tables for fucking alcohol. It's crazy. That, that industry is nuts. And it makes sense why these DJs would get paid what they're getting given the potential revenue inflow from the club? I mean, we were at in Vegas for my bachelor party last June, almost a year ago today. And we saw the Chainsmokers at Encore Beach Club. And I remember before the Chainsmokers got on, we did a lap of Encore Beach Club. And when I tell you, like they pack the people in there, there were tables in the pool. There were tables above the pool. There were tables in the middle of the pool. There were tables on the steps to the pool. There were tables everywhere. He said that they are the now the highest paid DJs, I think, in the world. Now you understanding that how much they got to be making a million dollars per show. I would think something close to that, but I also think they got, I mean, they're making probably, yeah, I would think like, I would think a hundred percent in the six figure range, a high six figure range, maybe a million. But I think where they make a lot of their money too is like streaming and stuff. Dude, yeah. do you know how much music they sell? Yes. Those guys are singers too. So they're singers and DJs. Um, so I would imagine they're making millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I know they're like ranked as the Forbes, like most profitable and and and, and like impressive business people out there. It would be interesting to see though, like in a beach club, Encore Beach Club. I know Rob G just did a big event out there. I wonder how much they like gross in one day. Like when the chain smokers were there, how much does that beach club make in revenue? Dude, millions. I couldn't believe how many people were there. I couldn't believe how many people were there. It was nuts. It was in a bottle. I mean, a bottle goes for like, what are they? Like two grand? Oh yeah, minimum. What's a bottle? A grand or two grand, right? Minimum. So it's like a grand or two grand for the bottle. Then you have to, they'll put the tip into it, of course, the 20%. So like you have to factor in like one bottle of vodka at a fucking club. It's like, and I say fucking because I just don't understand. It's so stupid. It's $3,000 or whatever it may be. I just, and then the other thing is, is they'll hike up these minimums so much that sometimes people don't even actually, they can't get to the minimum because they create this minimum so high. So they're ordering like idiots not even drinking Shots. all of it and it's just such a it's a isn't that a wild industry well also beach clubs too if you day drink you're usually there for like six hours whereas like a nightclub you're not gonna be a nightclub for six hours you're putting like your your two hour shift in so the day clubs i just think about if you're running that entire operation how fascinating that would be like how fascinating just running the entire operation of that and just knowing what you have to sell, the, the the marketing behind it, the selling tactics behind it, um, the pricing behind it, the, the guests, paying the guests and valuing all that. It's just crazy. It's crazy. One thing I think about, and I wish I talked to him about this, we just were running low on time and already went so into the weeds with his new venture, is like how he's actually, like what is he going to do to really like position brand and differentiate, right? You look at chain smokers, right? They are unbelievable musicians 
in, in what they, they can sing. They could play instruments. They could do all this. I'm one, and he talked a little bit about his executive track or his EP. I forget. What is it called? He's, he talked about like having his own, like building his own track. I think yeah. it's called an EP. I need to learn more about this industry. But I wonder what he's going to do to like build his own music and like continue to brand himself so that people are going only for DJ Blake. What do you think uh, he'll do and what's your take on I that? I think the EP, like from my understanding, the EP is just like an album. Like if I drop an EP, I'm dropping an album. And so that's just all going to be original stuff that he mixes himself, that he adds his own. Again, I don't know lyrics or tones or whatever, but he's got decent branding. I actually really like his logo that he came out with, with the lowercase B for Blake. I love the logo. Yeah, with the period at the end. It's very nice, very subtle. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't... When you say differentiate, yes, you have to differentiate. I don't know if he'll ever be like a chain smokers, and maybe that's me selling him short or something like that. But he's already saying he is differentiating by being an influence, which an influencer, which is allowing him to get more people in the door, which is allowing him to kind of carve out monetarily a niche that's a little different. But in terms of people coming out and showing just Blake, I think, like I said, getting a SoundCloud, getting a YouTube channel, like really dedicating his Instagram, like. The stagecoach clips that I sent you when it came out, I was like, holy shit. Have you seen this? It looks like there's 50,000 people there. Um, more of that stuff right. that just legitimize what he's doing to be like, I need to be a part of that. And I think he's starting to do a really good job. And the bigger shows he does, the more he'll get that. Yeah. And I think one thing we always talk about with any type of influencer, and Blake certainly has this, is access. And I think that is one yes. massive way. Like if I was sitting down and consulting with Blake, I would be like, dude, your access is next level. And you want to be this, you have to differentiate. So you're going to be like this country DJ. So if you can start mm -hmm. partnering with like an unbelievable female artist or an unbelievable country star that will do these things with you, and you guys have kind of like a, a name together where it's Blake DJing and this artist, you're combining musical with actually like the skill set he has that is how i think he gets to that like massive massive level um i just looked it up real quick so just so we do have clarity any release with seven or more tracks that's considered an album in itunes any release that has one to six tracks but is over 30 minutes will be an extended play so it's not a single okay it's not an album it's fewer than an album and more than a single that's called EP extended play. So that's our little fun fact of the day. I think the biggest David. fun fact of the day was uh, that Stagecoach is just it's the same thing as Coachella, just country version. Had no idea. I was like, do they Had really no import these uh, Ferris wheels in the middle of the desert <laughs> for every festival? Oh my God, how cliche. Like it looks awfully a lot like the, the Coachella one. <laughs> It's crazy because like, it's just, it seems like being at those, like I see Blake there and I'm like, I want to go. But when I don't see like Blake or a friend there, I feel like I would hate it. Like I think about being in the middle of a field with all these other like influencers, like sweating because it can be so hot. And I just, maybe I'm wrong. I've never been, I need to go, but I feel like if it, my friends weren't there, I don't know if I would like it. Laura, but everyone hypes him up. Laura just messaged. She's live listening to the recap right now. She goes, it's so dusty and hot, LOL. And I just, <laughs> between the dusty and the hot and the de dehydration that us 30-year-olds are going to get by being there and just the perplexed people watching of influencers being influencers and people who want to be influencers take photos. And it just, it would be a, a crazy experience, an absolute crazy experience. 
a crazy experience it would be. And that's one of the interesting things. If Blake was playing and seeing that set, that looked crazy. I would want to be on stage there with him. And I am so proud of him. Mm -hmm. It is so cool to have him on and see the full circle. David, anything before we wrap it up? No, I mean, the he, the offer is out there. You just said it. Be on stage and be with them. I mean, he said it. Uh, it sounds like July 4th, he's cooking up someone in the lab that uh, we just might have to get out to. I don't have plans yet. So I would love to do that. I think that would be great. I love it. Let's put it on the list. And also something to put on your list. We have some members from All Access Group that are here. Laura K, Jasmine Reed. They've been asking some questions. You can join the All Access membership. Just shoot us an email, restart at jasontarek.com to join. And additionally, uh, please remember to give us five-star rating on Apple. Subscribe. Give us five-star rating. It truly, truly helps. And give us any advice, things you want us to talk about, things we could do differently. And make sure to put your handle. And don't forget the Restart Roadmap book is out. Wall Street bestseller. We made four bestseller lists. Check that out as well. One thing I'll also tell you about is that we have a big guest coming in next week. Johnny Bananas. Remember him? We have her ex coming on, Morgan Willett. And the cool thing about Morgan is she won Big Brother. She has been on X's on the Beach. She has been on The Challenge. And one of the cool, relatable things to this episode is she talks about the exact dollar amount that she made by going to Coachella. And she talks about the angles of how she did it and what she did, where she is today. So make sure you tune in next week to Trading Secrets with Morgan Willett. And we hope that you felt that this was another episode of Trading Secrets, one that you certainly couldn't afford to miss.